0: Something that is fun and is also from Australia is the Roadcaster Pro. And it's why, and the Roadcaster Pro 2 now, which is why SP is on the show today. We both own one. I own the previous generation as well. We both own the two. Last time SP was on the show, if you listen to that, it was broken up over many episodes. But one of those was, What's Your Dream Piece of Podcasting Gear? And SP at the time basically outlined to me what is in essence, the RODECaster Pro 2 in a lot of different ways. What you described to me, SP, is this device. So we're going to, I think you've had yours probably over a month. I've had mine in production for about two weeks, and we're going to talk about the pros and cons and what we like, and we're going to compare it to our old setups. So where did you want to start? Did you just want to tell me out of the box how you felt about getting the unit finally? Just
1: off offer the specs of what was purported by Rode when it came out. This meant all but maybe a few of the criteria that I had set forth of what I wanted in the next generation of gear. And I was enthralled by the better preamps. That was a deal breaker or a deal maker in this case. And the ability to go out to two different devices so that I could simulcast if I wanted to somewhere else, if I wanted to simulcast to Discord or whatever. Unfortunately, I ran into a slight issue that I haven't fixed yet, and that capability is now being taken up by my soundboard as I go forward, but it had everything I needed, the Interface was better. It's a computer. It has a Linux OS to it, which is annoying because it takes like a minute to boot up. Which we might talk about in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> but the actual interface and the ability to change it is going to far surpass the Roadcaster Pro 1. The firmware that's on it right now that I have it is 1.0.7. I anticipate going to firmware 2. Point whatever or 3. Point whatever with this just because of the ability to make it better than the Rodecaster Pro 1. Rode said that the Rodecaster Pro 1 was at the limits of what you could do with the hardware. I debate that a little bit. I think they could have pushed it a little farther, but they abandoned development of that, which is another issue with Rode, and they are now focusing on the Rodecaster Pro 2. The other issue that I have with the Rodecaster Pro 2 that I gave pause to was the fact that it's only four channels in. Now there are four channel combo XLR and quarter inch input jacks, which is great, but I wish they had more or even a higher price capability to go uh, six, eight, 10 inputs would be better because I was going from a 16 input mixer down to this. And some of the capabilities on the inside make it so that it didn't need some of those channels, but still, I have a lot to connect here in the studio that I wish I could be able to connect and I just can't because I just don't have enough inputs.
0: Okay, that's a really good place. Maybe we'll start. So for you guys at home, we're just going to trade pros and cons and then maybe help each other out if we found a solution for those, but also just talk about it relative to our previous setups, which SP did a little bit there. He had a lot of physical devices that he wants to be able to connect and on the face of it, I love the idea of this machine, but a few of the things they took away felt like things that, A, didn't need to be taken away, like a front-facing headphone port, which I'm already finding super frustrating. It was I love that on the old one. And also there was an, a physical eight inch port, I think, on the other device. I never used it, but you can run a phone in and out of that, a physical phone or a separate laptop or whatever. So... You talked about the inputs and that was, I think, the biggest gripe that I had last time we spoke and recorded SP was that I wanted combo jacks because I was looking to run a DBX-286 directly into the old Roadcaster, the OG, I'll call it for the rest of today's conversation, and I couldn't do that. And I've got to admit, I got this device and I'll talk about what I like about it, obviously, as we go on today. The Roadcaster Pro 2, I've used the DBX once, because the onboard presets and processing is so much better than I honestly expected it to be. That, Like today, I've plugged my Electrovoice RE20 in and I hit the RE20 preset and I called SP on Scott. And it's doing everything for me. So part of why I wanted those combo jacks, I'm not actually even using since I've got the unit. But that obviously ties into the quality of the preamps And I'll let you maybe take that one, SP, because you were buying this device without owning the previous one, which I always had to run a mic booster into. So,
1: My co-host on Better Podcasting, Stephen, has the RODECaster Pro OG, as you called it. And he had some issues with that, with the preamps. They just weren't as good. And it was a common issue. Unfortunately, uh, some of the bad things about the OG RODECaster Pro were buried in the reviews because of the way that road did it now on one hand it was a very good advertising promotional campaign that they ran they gave for free roadcaster pro og to just about every single podcaster about podcasting out there they were flooding the markets with hey look at all the great things that this can do which was a good thing. And it was a revolutionary piece of gear at the time. I'm not going to debate that, but there were shortcomings to it. One of the shortcomings was the preamps. There were inferior preamps. And because you didn't have that combo jack, you couldn't run an outboard piece of gear to it without losing some quality and and going from a, like a quarter inch to a XLR input jack. And Yes, you can do it, but you lose some in the process because you're going from line level to mic level and stuff like that. Yeah. So it was a really strong issue, especially if you were running a microphone that required a lot of gain. And for me, definitely, that's the sure SM7B. I found out over the course of years here that my voice is very quiet voice. So I need to jack up the gain on any microphone that I have. And if the microphone itself has the handicap of needing even more gain, then I'm just not going to be able to use it because I'm not going to be able to get enough clean audio sound into the mixer in order or audio interface or whatever it is in order for my voice to be heard. So there is that issue for me. And that made the Roadcaster Pro OG Totally not in consideration for me whatsoever. Great piece of gear for what it was at the time, but the preamps were the single most thing about it that I was like, nope, not going to do it, can't do it. That in the total number of jacks, but really the preamps were uh, the, the issue. I forget the actual technical specifications, but it is far less gain than you can get with the Rodecaster Pro 2.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure what the exact specs were. I should have written those down. I don't want to get too bogged down in those kind of details, but I think it was 55 dB of gain on the old Roadcaster, and I think the new one 72. That don't, sounds about right. Don't hold me to that, but I know it's quite a large, it's basically what you normally would have been making up for with a mic booster, approximately the difference. And that's what I had to do in my studio when I had it last time we spoke SP. I think I was packing that down at the time. I had four mics and they were electro voice microphones and three of the four were the RE320, which is a bit hotter than the RE20 is just as far as output. But it wasn't just that it didn't have a lot of gain. Like those mics didn't need all the gain on the, the board, the RE320, but the top part of that gain was super noisy. So, it wasn't just the really gain-heavy mics like the SM7V, which I sometimes would use if I had a vocalist in there, and the RE20 is also pretty gain-hungry. It was basically all dynamic mics needed a mic booster because part of that gain range was just noisy, which is also an issue, whereas I'm finding on this new board, I didn't actually really even look at what the gain was set at. I just pressed the button for RE320, and then well, I guess I'll see what this sounds like after the fact. But yeah, it just seems like a completely different class of preamp, which makes me wonder if the old one was oversold a little bit because they were meant to be world class. And SP knows this, not a lot of people do. I was also using a Mixpre at the time for my own solo recordings. And those were just in a completely different universe to the OG Roadcaster.
1: Yeah. I never had the opportunity to own a mix pre device. I had wanted one for quite some time. And because of the amount of inputs that I needed, I would have to go to a mix pre 10 T I believe, (laughs) which had been over a thousand dollars. And I was willing to spend that if I came to the point where I had to replace my gear and, In the ensuing years, the RODECaster Pro 2 came available, which is a better device for me in the studio. It's got a console that I can look at. I can actually see the levels in front of me. The UI screen is much bigger. I forget how big it is. It looks like about four inches or so. And it's tilted up so that I can see it. You've got the big, huge sound pads on it, which I do have an issue with that, which is, I think, easily fixed in another firmware update. But the... Mixed pre series in the preamps alone are worth it. They're basically a field recorder. Mm. So a lot of people doing film would like to do that. I know it competed with the higher end zoom field recorders. And if I was doing a lot of that, I would have probably grabbed a, a Mix pre, but at the time I'm a hobbyist. I have a limited budget that I can afford to do this stuff with. I still have money. I can devote to it, but I just couldn't justify getting the mix pre versus something else that I wanted or needed in my life. So I just went with what I had versus getting the mix pre and waiting for the next generation of gear. I'd been waiting for the next generation of gear for a while. If you go back and listen to the old better podcasting episodes. I had talked about it for quite some time Mm -hmm. ever since the RODECaster Pro OG came out. I was looking for that next generation of device. I was a little bit disappointed with the other gear that was available, like the Tascam MixCast 4, uh, the Zoom P8. I was not disappointed with the capabilities, the actual audio output, but I was disappointed with the interface on it. It didn't have a screen or anything like that. And just waited and waited and waited and finally got something that was like, okay, I can upgrade to this. And it was about time too, because my mixer, my Mackie pro FX V two 16 channel mixer was starting to go. I lost one channel already on it and another channel was starting to go. So I'm like, yeah, it's about time yeah, to when I when start to go, that guy. Yeah. And as far as uh, how often do you need to refresh your gear? I would say audio gear, you're looking at a three to five year cycle. If you can make it past five years, you're doing great. But within three years, you got to start thinking, if I'm still going to do what I'm doing, what else do I need? What do I need to replace or upgrade? And that's the cycle I was in. I was due for an upgrade. You're listening to Dead Set Podcasting. And for that, you're a Dead Set legend. If you wanted to show some support to the show, either in dollars or shares or positive vibes even, just head over to deadsetpodcasting.com slash support and show Josh some love. Alrighty, let's get back to the podcast.
0: So I think we've, we've talked about SP. The thing that you wanted most was just a massive preamp upgrade. And the thing that I mentioned was that I wanted to be able to plug external devices into the next generation of Roadcaster, It turns out that I'm not doing that yet and I'm not sure if I will, to be honest, at this point. So I'll just start with my biggest con and I, I sent this to you as soon as I got this device out of the box and I'm like, I hope that I'm the only one having this issue. But i found online I'm not. The monitoring on this device of my local microphone it has what I could only describe as a latency type sound. And when I say that, I don't mean latency as in it's coming back to me late. It doesn't feel like that. It feels more like, you know, the sound of latency, that underwater kind of warbly sort of sound where you can't judge your tone, your performance, any of that kind of stuff, background noise levels, because it sounds so digitized. It sounds like I'm listening to a robot in my ears, but for the people I'm talking to like SP now he sounds absolutely normal and I thought I can't this can't be right I must be losing it here so I went and plugged in my mix pre unbelievable monitoring the Rodecaster 1 the OG as good a monitoring or not as clean a preamps as the mix pre does in the headphone amps they're a bit noisier but otherwise it was real time it sounded like a human and in this device I'm on the current firmware as well I checked that today on SP's advice I thought maybe I had an outdated firmware I still sound like a robot. Like I am sounding like a robot talking about sounding like a robot right now.
1: <laughs> have you tried different channels to put your microphone into? You know, I actually haven't
0: done that. And that would be one, the, probably the only thing that I haven't tried.
1: And it should have been the first thing I tried. Did you try the other, because there's four headphones out. Did you try another headphone out? No, but that's something I can try
0: in real time. Okay. So, Vespi just then, talks about maybe a pro he has, and I'll just do some fiddling here.
1: Yeah, the other thing that you might be able to do is you can go into the settings and you can go into the outputs, and then you can go into the headphones and you can change it from low sensitivity to high sensitivity or to road specific headphones that they have. And if you're on high sensitivity or the road, uh, headphones and you're not using them, you might want to just try it low sensitivity. If you're using a studio monitoring headphone there, uh, I was hoping that you'd be able to choose what channels can go out to each headphones. And I thought I'd seen some reviews that you could do that, that you could absolutely configure each individual audio out, including the headphones to that. So If there is that option in there and I'm just not seeing it because I tried the other day, then that might affect the fact that you're actually not getting the out from the actual channel and that instead you're looking at a main out or something like that. So those are some issues with that. Now, I mentioned a detriment being the sound pads. I will say it's great to have eight huge sound pads that you can change color on and then you can scroll and I forget how many different screens that you can scroll. So you can have a ton of ready-made sound clips, which is important if you're streaming and if you're doing a review on some sort of a television show that you want to play a clip from, that you want to use as an example, uh, fair use warning applies here. You can do that or you can play different bumps to different segments or you can use different sound effects uh, in case you want to accentuate something. I'm not big into the radio morning show sound effects, but I know some people can use that effectively and you can use those. You can fade in and out uh, bedding music if you're going out of a segment and you're just, you know, ramping that up. You can use one of the faders that way. Uh, So the sound pads themselves are a huge step up from even what you can get in like the PyTrack P4, which has four sound pads, but those are limited in being able to use because first of all, there's only like four of them, but also because you don't have the granularity of control over them either. Now it's totally different device. You don't have as good as quality of audio out of it. It's only 16 bit, 44.1 kilohertz recording. And, and you don't have as many faders or options to control the outs, but it is a I've heard a Swiss army knife of uh, devices for podcasters, which is great, but the sound pads on the Rodecaster Pro 2 are a benefit, and that is not one of the reasons why I got this thing, but it is a pro <laughs> to be able to do all that stuff. Now, I do have a con with that as well that we'll talk about later, but that's one of the pros to it.
0: Yeah, so just so you know SP I couldn't I can't see behind the unit from where I am now and um, whatever headphone port I had put the headphone into I thought I was turning up channel 2 and I couldn't hear anything so that's something okay. I, that's something I'll have to go away with and have a fiddle cuz I've kind of put the board a little bit further away than normal just so I don't kick anything here I'm kind of sequestered in a corner of a room on on a couch
1: so well that's both a pro and a con right? The pro is that there are actually four headphones out. If you're using a normal mixer board, you really only have one, maybe two that you can adapt from the control room, the CR out, right? And that's all you get.
0: Main reason I bought the OG when I had the studio, I'm thinking I need, Uh, I want to have four or five. Well, five, if you run one out of each, like you could have channel one and channel one, Obviously, it's splitting, ah. in, it's splitting the amplifier, so that volume had to be up louder for two people. But it meant I could have up to five, and I could split two headphones. So they were powerful enough to split two off one. And I, I sometimes had five people in there that needed headphones.
1: So The Zoom P8, I think, has six. So wow, there's a good. lot of people out there that do real-time gaming or tabletop gaming or maybe an audio drama, and they have more than four people in the studio to record uh, personally doing a panel type podcast, I would recommend not doing more than four people at a time because yeah. that just becomes unwieldy. But if you're doing a tabletop game or a audio drama, I can definitely see having six or more people involved in that. Mm-hmm. And if you're using the Roadcaster Pro 2, which is a great device to use for that situation, a live uh, recording or, or just not streaming, right? You're just recording there. It's a good one, except for you only have four inputs and you only have four outputs. Uh, Something like a Zoom P8 might be a better option for those types of people. It's all about your requirements. What are you going to use this thing for, right? And I think having the four headphone jacks out is great because I used to have a complicated system of going out of the headphones out of the Mackie and then going into not one but two headphone splitters, the Mackie headphone splitters. And then going to different devices and different headphones from there. It was a mess in terms of cords and being able to track the audio everywhere. I actually had to put together this huge diagram of what my studio wiring was looking like. And it was just complicated and I had to update it every few months because I would change like one thing and I would want to make sure that I knew what that one thing was because the next time I updated I want to make sure, well, where does this cord go to? (laughs) And I had to label all the cords and everything like that. But uh, you don't have to do that with this. You have the four headphones out. And that is my next and maybe my first pro for today. I'm not sure if this is my first
0: definitive pro the knobs, including the headphone knobs, are infinitely better as far as how they feel, the build quality, the look that you can color code them. Obviously, the ideally, if you're running four microphones in a physical space, you could actually code each pair of headphones and a microphone with a little colored tag that would align, road sell those, that align to the actual colors that you allocate to them. So you always know, well, Josh is over there talking. Josh is on mic two, and he needs more volume in his headphones. He's got the green headphones and the green microphone. I know that's Josh on two. Like it's that part of it's great. But these lauded improved headphone amplifiers, and I'll say they are loud. Like they're almost as loud. I haven't turned them up. I'm, I'm not silly. I don't want to blow my ears out. They're even louder than the headphone amplifier on the mix pre, which is – ridiculous how loud that thing can go but I don't find them as clean as people are saying and I don't know whether you've ever played guitar SP but in guitar if you use a tube amplifier there's this point where it feels like the volume kicks in and it's when you hit a point of saturation at the master stage like you're slamming the master volume stage and it just kind of all of a sudden gets loud with these headphones when I turn them up to about 11 o'clock it's almost like there's a notch and then suddenly it's loud. And if I go much past that, they seem noisy. So to your point, I might be using for these Sony MDR headphones the wrong headphone setting. Maybe I need to change that in there. I think I'm just using whatever the road one is. I just figured they'd probably be the same ohms, but they might not be. But I don't know how you found the monitoring, but I'm finding it hard to judge is this room noise that I'm getting or is this actual noise from the headphone amplifiers themselves and that was a big complaint on the previous version they are noisy on the OG.
1: maybe i've staged my gain so that it's a little bit higher going in because my headphones are rarely past uh nine o'clock maybe 10 o'clock in terms of gain and and the master gain is is about the same so i i think I might have a different gain stage, which is the whole thing about the RODECaster Pro setting it up, right? So setting up the RODECaster Pro 2 can be very easy. Just choose some presets and go, kind of like what you did today. I went in and changed a few settings when I first set this up a couple of months ago, Mm -hmm. and I swore I would always try to get back to it. I haven't yet. But there is a marked difference between what the presets are and then the different things that you can do with the EQ, with the audio processing, and with the gain staging. So I do know that I had extremely quiet recording, both on my microphone and the incoming USB. So I connect to other people on the internet, and then I record that as a track. I also had very low gain on my soundboard on a number of ways to put it in Bluetooth via the, the, I did a 3.5 millimeter out into one of the channels as a line in. And I also have done the, I, I use an iPad mini for a soundboard. So I use a lightning to USB connector and I had to get the specific connector that Rode sells the, I think SC19 or SC15, because if you don't know, USB-C connections, they are very variable so you can get data only you can get power only and then you can get them so there's some sort of chip actually in the usb-c connection and it has to talk to the device so it's not like you can go to the store or amazon and order a generic cord you have to order the specific cord for that company with the chip in it to design to transfer data back and forth which is a pain and it's expensive more expensive than it needs to be but it is proprietary and you have to deal with it. So anyway, the gain was really low and I've had to fiddle with the gain to get it to where I want it to be, to where it's loud enough so I don't have to inject too much gain in post to distort the raw audio more than it should be. So sorry,
0: SP, just for people at home that maybe aren't that technical, you're not talking about you can't get enough input gain to get your levels up you're talking about the actual recordings at the end are they out of alignment with what you think the meters telling you Like, are they quiet? Like, are they being squashed by the master compeller or whatever that thing is that's on there now? Is that the problem? Yeah,
1: master master compeller. That's what it's called. I was searching for that in my mind a a few minutes ago. Yeah, I think so because, like, on my microphone right now, I have the fader all the way up to the top. And I don't think that's part of the master compeller as it's going out of the USB board. Also, I've had to adjust the gain on the channel itself. I forget what the preset was, but I had to turn it up a few dB in order to get anything that was reasonable enough. So I was like, okay, well I can take that as, as gain. And there's some sort of limiter in there as well that prevents you from clipping, which is great. I totally understand, especially if you don't know anything about audio to have that fail safe in there to not clip. It makes it dummy proof for if you don't know anything about audio, you can use this and and just choose the presets and go. But At the same time, I'm like, well, what else is it doing? What else is it preventing? What else am I subjected to because of that? I think one of the things is it's recording a lot lower volume on the board. I should say that I use the onboard SD card to record. I don't record into a DAW and I don't record using USB-C because that was one of the things that I wanted to do. Another pro is you have the two outs, so you can use one USB to go out to your computer or device, mobile device or whatever, and you can connect over the internet. The other one you can use as a recording storage. You just connect a drive and it records to that. And you can record all three at the same time. You could record into a DAW, onto the SD card, and onto a USB external drive. Unfortunately, I can't Record to the USB external drive as a second hardware recording because I'm using that second USB C out for my sound pad, my soundboard, the iPad mini. So I'm subjected to only recording either a backup online and then the sd card i want to before we get too far away from it i know i've taken us on a a lot of different paths but i want to get back back to your latency issue i haven't noticed too much of an audio change and maybe that's the gain staging that i've had to do maybe i originally heard that and then i've changed it what i have noticed is an actual latency And the reason I can tell this is I'm editing and I'm editing at speed like 1.5 or 1.7 times regular speed. And it is going by fast because that's just the way I edit because I edit from front to back. That's one way to do it. I actually wouldn't recommend that if you could actually make recording notes along the way and go back to front. That's actually a better, faster way to edit. So I'm I agree. I actually edit the same way you do. I would say faster.
0: I would be very reticent to say better, so we could skip okay. that whole. We can we can skip that conversation today. I don't think you can edit edit as cleanly. Just taking notes. I think you got to hear it all. To be honest, that's just my opinion.
1: Okay, fair enough, and and that's how I do it. So I'm editing at one point five to one point seven speed. I was just doing this yesterday actually, and I was making a stop at a specific point, and it was always past where it would stop. And you say, well, maybe your reaction time isn't that great. Well my hand is actually on the space bar, which is the stop. And as soon as I run into something, I, I click it and it's like far past where it should be. Also, when I am listening back to a specific word, I'm like, okay, what is this word versus this word? Because I'm in the waveform, and I'm not using a textual editor. I'm not using like Descript or anything like that that has that capability to edit out a word and then splice it back together. Hmm. So I have to go in and I have to sculpt the waveform. And as I'm playing, I'm like, I still don't know which one I'm hearing. So I have to place the cursor right before the waveform that I want to identify and then play it. And then by the time I hear it, it's on the second one anyway. So that's why I know there's some sort of latency that's going on with it.
0: I shouldn't have used the term latency. What SP is describing for you guys at home is actual latency, where something's occurring after it actually occurred in a way. And if you're hearing that in real time, it can actually really affect you as a speaker. It basically will make you slow down and you won't be able to concentrate. I mean, we all remember that app that came out. One of the first ever iPhone apps was the one that would listen to you talk to it and it would say it back to you. And no one could ever beat that thing. So I think that maybe we're very early on this machine and it's a case of comparing one device's end with another device's beginning but headphone monitoring issues I've never had with any other device. This is the most modern device I've owned. I've had four or five different recorders over the years of different quality, and I'd still probably say this isn't quite in the league of a mix pre, just in terms of quality of components. It's probably more technologically advanced, but I've never had an issue where I didn't sound like myself. Like, I don't love sounding like me. I don't think I have a very great voice, but I'd like to sound like what I sound like still, SP. And I sound like a robot, so I don't want to get too bogged down in one complaint. But the first thing I noticed about it is something that's making it not a very pleasurable device to use. This episode was edited by Dead Set Podcasting, If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing. So you did have a con you said with your sound pad. So I'm thinking maybe we could round off each part of the device if you wanted to tell me that con because I've heard about some cons but I don't use the sound pads really for anything in live production or streaming so I don't have any complaints really, to be honest. So you obviously do have a con.
1: My largest complaint is I can't read the fricking tags on what the sound pads are. So on the screen, there is a mimic of the sound pad and it's got the same colors as whatever you've assigned to the sound pad. And then underneath the color is this little itty bitty and maybe I'm old, I'm retirement age. Really itty bitty.
0: I'm looking at them, they're itty bitty.
1: And you cannot tell what they are and they're they're very limited in the amount I, I don't know how many characters it is I want to say maybe 12 maybe 12 yeah, characters 12 ish yeah and, and that's all you get even if the file is longer it just does dot 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 afterwards and if you have sound pads or sound files that are all named roughly the same for instance, Let's say I get 10 voicemails on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. for episode 450. So I put in LOS450 space voicemail space whoever is sending in the voicemail and then the date after that. And then I take that file and I throw it in as a sound pad. All I'm going to see is LOS450 space voice. And that's it. Mm. And I don't know which one is which really, right, as I'm looking at it. Or if I have a funny thing that a co-host has said, it will be their name like Michelle or Lauren and then what they said. And all I'm getting is their name off of it. So that is the issue that I have is that you can't really tell fully what these sound pads are and you have to have some sort of bigger, like maybe a screenshot of what you've done in the Rode software up on the screen as a guide or a legend on which sound pad goes where so that's my big complaint i think it could be bigger or you could enable an option to make those sound pads bigger on the screen so you could actually read more i think that would be something that i would want to look into for a firmware upgrade on this thing
0: definitely and i won't touch them because i'm not sure what that'll do in real time but i don't have the fader up anyway but Even something like if you're looking down and you're the producer of the show and you're the one that's actively going to be pressing those buttons, if you could just touch on one, and I'm going to do that SP, I'm not sure what's going to happen here on the screen, it might not do anything. but So if you click on it, it takes you into a screen where you then have to click out of. So that's painful because if you reach over, you might hit a headphone, you might accidentally drop a marker, you might bump your fader up and down or knock the USB up and down and then we can't hear each other. So I don't like that. But if you were to be able to touch it and maybe have it a toggle to turn this feature on and off, it would expand to fill the actual main screen and tell you what's on that pad. It'd be almost like if you touched an information bubble on like a, the back end of a hosting platform or something, like you just touch it and it expands up and says, this is voicemail 450 from Josh Liston for Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then you could touch it again and it would go away. And that would seem like something that this has more than enough power to do. I don't know. Does that sound like it might fix that problem, SP? Or well, What is that one that's in blue there? I don't remember what that one is because you might remember what some of them are and not others. So,
1: Yeah, you'd have to click it and then you'd have to read it in order to figure out which is which. So, yeah. you know, as a producer... Maybe you can set
0: it to go away automatically after... 10 seconds. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Yeah. After a few seconds, that might work there. Also, just be clicking through those options right there. I forgot about the whole back channel thing where you have the ability to do back channel talk that's separate from what's going out to the stream. It's largely for streamers. And yes, I do stream when I'm recording, but really I'm focusing on podcasting. So
0: that was a feature on the old unit. I'm not sure if it was refined the way that it is on the new one. So just for a little recap for people because SP and I haven't caught up in person for ages and we've probably gone down some tangents, we're nearly 50 minutes into this conversation, we both agree that the preamps are much better. The combo jacks, even though I'm not using them, I'm looking forward to being able to plug an instrument into this thing like a guitar or a bass and jam along to some stuff or even have a Skype call with someone and write a song. Who knows? The pads seem to be better. You can have more of them. They're big, the tactile response I have played with them feels better to me than the old version, and I'm having a sook about the latency. So I think that's caught us up to where we are we are now. I love that I can update it over Wi-Fi or Ethernet. I don't have to ever, if I don't want, plug this in to any application on the computer from Rode. I mean, maybe that application is brilliant, but I don't really want to have to use something unless I have to. And being able to plug this directly into Ethernet and do an an update on the unit when I first got it, I thought that was tremendous.
1: I like the fact that it does have Ethernet in case you are trying to reduce the amount of Wi-Fi congestion that might be on your network. I have a very robust, like, Eero mesh system, so I'm not that worried about it. But I do have a lot of Wi-Fi devices in the house. So anything that I could do to reduce that congestion just internally in my house is better. So I do like the fact that there's Ethernet and not just Wi-Fi on it. One thing that I would like to see since it does have Ethernet is the ability to actually use this device as a call device just on its own, not through a computer or a tablet or anything. You could set it up through some sort of account or maybe even a telephone or a cable company a communications company, and you could set up the the device to actually call back and forth, which would then enable you to use this as a call-in feature on its own without using a phone or a tablet or a computer associated with it. So I think that capability is there. I don't think that they have any desire whatsoever to do that. But that was one thing that I got when I got this right away, I'm like, okay, I'm going to plug in the ethernet and I'm going to be able to update the the device. What else can this do? It could actually call on its own because you have that ethernet plugged right in. It's not a phone line. It's a data computer ethernet plug, but it is capable of doing that. I think in terms of the technology, at least, and with the OS being Linux, you could program it. You could put, a capability in there, an application in there to go ahead and do this. So that is something that I hope Rode will explore in the future to reduce the dependency upon actually connecting over telephone or a you know an application like Skype or whatever. It's certainly useful. And I was
0: saying to SP that one of the reasons that I continue to use Skype is because I'm calling from a different continent sometimes skype is amazing and then other times someone's having an issue on their end and things drop out and i've even in the last month i've had to call two people to collect the last part of a conversation and i had to call their phone number and i'm doing that through skype out so i just i'm within the same program i'm already in i just call their phone and whatever it is plus 44 i think i called the last person was in canada i think it was plus 1 to get to toronto so That was helpful, but if you had some call-out feature that's maybe like a road VoIP, it runs within the unit itself that is made purely just to – And I don't know how you would account for that. Maybe you'd have to have it logged in and you'd have to buy credit and they'd route it somehow for you, but just being able to call off the thing would actually make it also useful if people could call you via the device and you could maybe just put them on hold on there. So that would be like a live calling number that, that could actually get parked on the roadcaster, not on an external device. I think that's brilliant, SP. It's not anything anyone else has mentioned. And now we're going down another tangent, which I guess is how this show works. So
1: There's <laughs> a lot of people that ask, how can I take call-in calls? Not that there's a lot of need for that anymore, especially after the pandemic. You know, a lot of people are more comfortable using things like Zoom or StreamYard, which is what I used, or Riverside. FM or clean feed or whatever. People are more uh, capable, like non-podcasters are more like, okay, how are we going to connect? I'll send you this link. You get into the program and boom, you're off and running. A lot of times it's Zoom just because that's what people use or Microsoft Teams because that's what they use at work or whatever. But if you could just have people like you're streaming live and you stream live every day at a certain time. Like you're actually playing a local morning show through the internet or something like that. If you want to take calls, you can take calls that way. And that way, the back channel would be used as a green room, I think. And I think it would work great, but I don't use it that way. I don't plan to use it that way, but I could see it being used that way.
0: Well, I think it's great. and more so maybe than the idea itself it's the concept of they've put enough horsepower in this thing theoretically to do these sorts of things that SP is talking about they're not niche because a lot of people want to take calls but just to be able to have more and more features and have a broader amount of upgradability is a pretty cool like it's cool that they've made it as powerful as they have compared to the old one so i'm going to get myself in trouble here SP we're an hour into this this is something that i know that i think Curtis Judd who does it, a camera channel on YouTube is the only person who I think I've heard who's going to agree with me here. I don't like that it's not outputting polywave files anymore. <laughs> and this is going to, This is going to upset everybody. And the reason is because I've changed the routing on this twice in the two people I've spoken to previous to SP, and I moved a couple of things around, and then I had to go individually through each channel because I used a different mic for myself and I used a different USB in a different place, I actually had to listen and drag each channel because it came as eight individual channels instead of one big file. I had to drag them in separately into the door and then click on them to play. I'm like, okay, there's nothing in that one. The mic stuff's obviously not an issue, but I changed USBs and I moved them around. And The other day I had USB on channel six and I freaked out just before this call SP because I thought that the person I spoke to two nights ago that I didn't have their recording. Then I look down and I see USB track 8. I didn't have USB track 8 last time. Well, I don't remember it. Then I dragged that in there and that was the one that it was on. But it was a virtual fader and the call before that I had the USB on a physical fader. And it was only because I'd moved a few things around. might I might have done it by accident. I don't remember, <laughs> but... If I had a polywave file, it would have been one file and I just drag it in there. And obviously they end up gigantic and that's an issue because you end up with multiples of those. So there's swings and roundabouts. But yeah, I actually prefer the polywave because everything's there and I know it's there. It's just there and then I drag it in and I delete everything I don't want. So I'm probably one of two people on the planet that actually has said that and I'm open for ridicule. Fire away.
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe one of... One and a half people out there. I don't know. So I enjoy the fact that this is not PolyWave a lot for a lot of reasons. First of all, the files, if you've never dealt with them before, are very difficult to learn to deal with because you have to input them into a DAW that's capable of taking PolyWaves. Also, there is a limit to how much data that they record at any one time. So I believe there's a setting in a lot of the devices that cuts it off at two gigabytes and then starts a new file. I could be mistaken about mm. that. So you might end up with multi polywave files that you have to port over. So, okay. There's that. The negative I have with this is you cannot turn off any channels to record. You're recording all 12 every yeah. time. And it doesn't matter. And it just takes up so much storage on a good day. I'll have four tracks, maybe up to five that I need. And I'm recording all 12. And on a normal day, I just need three. I need my microphone. I need the USB in microphone and I need a sound pad. However, I choose to do that. If I choose to do that with the USB 2, if I choose to do that with a channel, if I choose to do that with Bluetooth, I just need one of them. So that's normally what I need, just three. And I'm recording 12. Also, I don't know if I found a setting for this or not, or if there is a setting for it or not, but the stereo recording on channels is also a wasted data for a lot of what I do because I do a lot of talking head podcasting. I don't need stereo for that. It's just mono. So give me mono. I don't need to have that file size doubled because I'm recording two tracks, basically, instead of one. So really, when you're yeah. recording the 12 tracks, like four of them are mono because they're the they're the actual microphone inputs. So I think eight of them are stereo. So you're really recording... 20 singular tracks of data every time. And if you do what I do and do an hour or two hour podcast recording, that's a lot of data that ends up on the card. I think you're absolutely right.
0: And from memory, I think it was one of the things that you and I agreed on last time we spoke was that we should be able to, if we're never going to use a channel, just completely disable it from being recorded to the SD card. Currently, I'm never going to use any of the virtual channels. So I don't need a file for any of those. At the moment, I'd love to be able to somehow just choose a show, just call it Josh on Deadset Podcasting, where it's me and one person, and that's how it's going to be. Set that up, launch the show. It basically disables absolutely everything except for the USB channel and one mic channel. And if I happen to have the fader down on that mic channel and I've accidentally thinking I'm using a different channel, maybe the unit can tell me, hey, idiot, you better turn the right mic channel. <laughs> like that, that, that's all I need. And then I've got two files that are the only two that actually have audio on them, and I don't have eight or nine files, and seven of them are empty. Sort of thing.
1: I like the idiot proofing thing. My watch does that, right? When I'm go out for a walk or run or something like that, and (laughs) if I'm five minutes into it, it'll say, "Hey, do you want me to record a outdoor walk for you or outdoor run or something like that?" I'm like, "Oh, yeah, actually, I thought I hit go, but I didn't, or you (laughs) messed up and you didn't, or I didn't, and you're actually tracking it." So I'm glad it does that there. I know a lot of people have issues with tracking and personal stuff, but I'm glad it does that for the audio device. That'd be good for them to be picking up audio and then having a big red thing flash on the screen. You aren't currently recording microphone three or channel three, but yet there is sound coming in there. Do you want to record it? Yes. Yes, I do. I could see that. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Well, SP, it's amazing to talk to you again. And one thing I just wanted to finish up with, Better Podcasting, the main show, as you guys often refer to it as. It's coming back. It may even be out by the time I get this edited because I do have a great big interview that I have to edit for Deadset Podcasting first. So whether it's out or it's not, it's soon. And how does that feel to know it's coming back? Because you've kind of been carrying a bit of a flag for 12 months on... The, the better podcasting live chats and all those sorts of things in the interim. How do you feel as the guy that's, you know, been doing a little bit of the work in between? It must be exciting.
1: It's absolutely exciting. Better podcasting has been a huge resource towards hobby podcasters since it came out. There's not another show that caters to hobby podcasters. Most of the other podcasts about podcasting are looking specifically as a commercial for services Or how can you monetize your podcast a little bit better? And I can't fault them for that. I had an issue for it for years. It's like, this is not what I do. But then I just came to a realization that we started Better Podcasting specifically for people like me that podcast for a hobby that aren't interested in monetizing, that aren't interested in you have to put affiliate links everywhere, you have to have an email list, or you have to... Be on TikTok to get the latest. That that's actually burning me a little bit. You have to be on TikTok <laughs> to promote your podcast. I'm like, I think within six months that's going to turn. I think it already has started to turn. Like the wave, the initial wave is there. The people that were there to begin with got some benefit out of it. But I think within six months, I could be wrong. Could be two years. I don't know. TikTok's going to want people to stay. On TikTok. They're not going to want to send people to anywhere else, including your podcast. They want the people to keep on scrolling there. So why would they make it easier for you to get off their platform to go check out the podcast that is being promoted? Also, I think for a hobbyist anyway, this is all for a hobbyist. Like if you have a big corporation, yeah, have a TikTok out there, but you're creating separate content for TikTok to go out there, right? And these sorts of mind blowing assessments for hobby podcasters just aren't available without uh, better podcasting around. So I'm really excited to be able to get those out again. Stephen's able to come back. You know, we talked a lot about why we were taking a hiatus a year ago on the show. Stephen took the hiatus for different reasons. I took the hiatus for different reasons. We both had issues come up in the past year to prevent us from coming back as a main show, but on November 2nd will be our first recording, November 2nd, 2022. The show should be out the Sunday after that. And then we have plans to go for quite a while after that. And we do have off ramps now, interestingly enough, that we will talk about on the main show when we, we talk about it on Uh, either changing formats or maybe making a better decision on stopping or continuing on and stuff like that. So this is an exciting time for us because we're able to get that information out, that specific information that we had to go through out to everybody else. So yeah, really excited for that. Yes, I have been doing better podcasting chats with SP. It's been something that I've been able to do to interview other hobby podcasters. I've been doing that for four months now. And it's been really uh, a lot of fun. Uh, I haven't had you on because of the time zones involved, right? But yeah, I'm not a massive video person. So my video is pretty
0: much just for comedy. And I'm trying like, that's honestly the reason SP you're the first. Well, now everyone who listens to this knows the dozens of people, they know why I haven't really committed to video on other shows because I want to keep that part of me as the comedy guy. But I mean, for you, I'd do it. <laughs> There's not many people I probably would. But can I just say something about just before I forget, and I've been wanting to tell you this for a while, and I think I sent you this as a DM. You were already really great on the mic and seemed like a fully formed podcaster, and then you started doing the live chats. And you've become so much better as an extemporaneous speaker to me in the last six months and i've gotten to, i feel like to see the true pace of your brain a little bit more than i'd had in the past where maybe a lot of the show was formatted and there was notes and different things just to see you interacting with people in real time and it's extemporaneous it's been a real pleasure and i think that you are infinitely better than even you were 12 months ago so
1: Well, thank you very much. I've been enjoying the chats quite a bit. I've learned a lot from other hobby podcasters. Mm. A lot have been different genres than what I do, either audio dramas or tabletop role-playing game podcasts. And it's exciting getting to know their thought processes and being able to take what their experiences are and go, oh, okay, well, we can apply it to these other avenues and other genres of podcasting. And you only get that because these people are not in the money-making podcast genre. Yes, they would love to make a ton of money podcasting, but they're not the gimlets of the world. They're not the NPRs of the world. They don't have the big studios behind them. They don't have the 25-person staff behind Mm -hmm. them to make it go and to make these millions of dollars. And it's really heartening to see what they're able to do with their passions and what they're able to do with their storytelling and what they're able to do with the podcasting infrastructure and hardware that's available to them. And those sorts of things were just not available 10, 15 years ago. And to be able to share that with other hobby podcasters that are either doing the same genres or applying those techniques to their genre, I think is invaluable and you just won't get it anywhere else because there's no money in interviewing an audio drama person that gets 150, 200 downloads per episode, you know? Okay. So you're, you're doing that. So are a lot of other people, what is of value to the business podcaster? The business to business podcasting genre is its own thing. I think hobby podcasting is bigger and its own thing over on the side and doesn't get enough attention because there's not as much money flowing through it. I
0: think you're absolutely right. And you did a marvelous job of deflecting from my compliments there, which is what I probably like most about you. That was very Australian of you, actually. That little, that very, that big deflection. I love
1: that. I'm mostly Irish, so so maybe it's Irish in me.
0: (laughs) So thank you, SP. I'm really excited that the show's back. Obviously, I feel a little bit like Dead Set Podcasting was flying a bit of the same flag that Better Podcasting does in a way. And maybe the show's a bit more philosophical and meandery. You guys are obviously it's a lot more organized, for the lack of a better term, the conversation. But I feel like I'm happy that you guys are coming back because it feels like there's another show that actually cares about the success of people more so than the success of themselves.
1: It's great to have another show that's a running buddy because honestly, if you search for that's a good term for it. Yeah. yeah. If you search for hobby podcasting, I don't even think you'd get better podcasting up there. We got to change the SEO on that. But there is nothing out there for hobby podcasting. And in fact, hobby podcasting is considered a dirty word in the B2B area. I've had that experience over the past few years, which is what soured me on that whole part of the industry. It's like you bring up hobby podcasting, and like, yeah, dude, I don't want to call what I do hobby podcasting. Well, what you're doing is not hobby podcasting. What you're doing is B2B podcasting, or what you're doing is monetizing your podcasting. It's more like independent podcasting. Hobby podcasting is people that are deliberately not monetizing or they can't monetize for whatever reason. And if they can't monetize because their podcast isn't good enough, that's why you want to make your podcast better, thus better podcasting.
0: Very good. And you can go to betterpodcasting.com to find that, or you can go to deadsetpodcasting.com and there'll be a link there. Thank you, SP. Thanks for keeping the show going in the ways that you have. It's been really great. And I do mean that. i you're already great, but I just think that you've seems even better now. So I've I've loved seeing that as someone that kind of knows you as I guess a mate. So that's been exciting for me just to see that you've been flourishing in your own way this past twelve months. So yeah. Well,
1: thank you very much, sir. Righto. See you later. Later.